Welcome to the Launch University Podcast, turning good intentions into reality in your career, business, and life. Here's your host, David Farmer. Hey, Launch University Tribe. I am so grateful that you've decided to tune in. You are in for a treat. Uh, This is David Farmer, and I am so happy to have Brian Preston of Lehman Luther with me. If you don't know this story, let me just tell you, Brian's going to unpack this story. This is a cool, crazy, and amazing story all wrapped up in one. You couldn't write this stuff. Let me just put it like that. But what Brian has been able to do through Lehman Luther, it it is a for-profit business that also does unbelievable ministry. Um, so Brian's going to tell the story. He's got some great lessons that he's learned along the way. He's got some super cool stuff that's happening now in his life with the business. And so I think you'll be both uh, inspired as well as you're going to learn some cool things that you can take back to your own uh, launch venture and apply as well. So Brian, let me say uh, uh, welcome and so glad to have you here. Thanks so much for having me, David. Uh, Brian uh, is out in West Georgia, and I got him to come to my house for this. Uh, <laughs> that's right. That's right. So I really appreciate him doing that. Um, so Brian, uh, you and I have talked. I want you to go back and tell your story, because there's no way I can do this justice. Start before Layman Luther and kind of tell us what happened in your life that led you to feeling like you needed to start well, first of all, in, in a sentence, what is what's what kind of business is Layman Luther? So Layman Luther is a social enterprise uh, that employs guys transitioning out of homelessness and addiction programs. And you make? We make beautiful, handcrafted, rustic furniture that's in the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium. There, there you go. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's all handmade, built by our guys out in West Georgia. It is beautiful. In fact, interestingly enough, the first Layman Luther product I saw was actually a cutting block that you would use in a kitchen. And and I don't know why that's the first thing I saw, but I happened to see it in a store, and it had this Lehman Luther kind of wood-graved yeah. stamp on it that looks super cool. Yeah, we try to be a zero-waste company, so we save all of our scraps. Uh, we primarily build tables, so we like to focus on the table, primarily for what it represents in the home and in the work workspace. We say the, the world's changed around the table, so we firmly believe that, but we try to keep our scraps, too, for smaller products like cutting boards and um, other smaller items. So no, I like it. Nice scrap. Yeah. All right, so go back. Tell your story. Uh, how did you ever get to Lehman Luther in the first place? What were you doing beforehand? Yeah, so as a child, my grandfather, uh, Lehman Luther Wilson, who the company's named after, he put tools in my hands at an early age. Um, I was the kid that was outside building tree houses while all my other friends was playing. Uh, back then, it was Ken Griffey Jr. You know, it tells you how a little bit how old I am. But um, I just love being outside. I love creating with my hands. I felt like there was something inside of me that was pushing me to build and create and make. Um, so fast forward to again in college, and um, I, I've found out that sociology was the easiest degree to get. So of course, I major in sociology, um, and um, I went to work for a friend of mine. His dad. Uh, actually created this very successful trim carpentry, cabinetry business um, in a very affluent area in Atlanta, uh, in the Buckhead, Vinings area. And so I was exposed to really high-end carpentry work uh, in college. And I remember laying in my bed at night so excited about going to work just to see what I would build and create the next day uh, versus studying sociology at the University of West Georgia. That's always a good sign when you lay in bed the night before excited about what the next day at work calls. I know. That's a good clue right there. It was. I I just love going to work. I love building. I love creating. 
Um, so I actually dropped out of college to focus on my craftsmanship career, I guess, if there is such a thing. Um, and um, Which I, goes to show it can work. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, college is not for everybody. But um, for me, I just felt like this is what I was passionate about. And if I really put my, you know, my time and effort into it, we'd build something successful. And so um, I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. You know, I sold candy as a middle schooler to my friends, you know, and my mom would give me $5 and I'd go to the store and buy all this candy and sell it. So I've always loved making money. Um, I think there's um, uh, this great gift of making money. I think it's a great thing. Making a profit's a great thing. It's a good thing. Um, So anyway, I knew that one day I'd start my own business. 2004, that opportunity actually happened for me. So built my own business, started it out in the West Georgia area, and I was trying to provide super high-end carpentry skills for the West Georgia area and realized that there really wasn't that much of a market for it in West Georgia. Um, So we actually started building houses. This is 2005. So from 2005... Kind of see where this is going. Yeah, 2005, we started building houses, and it's going great. We had nine employees working for us and building this cool little boutique um, home building business out in West Georgia. And then in 2008, when the economy crashed, my wife and I, we lost everything. Mm. Like We lost our house and our cards. We had a brand new baby and poverty became real for me um, pretty quickly. So I don't want to, let me just pause here for a moment. Yeah. You lose everything. What's that feel like? I mean, with a little baby, I mean... It's the worst feeling. I can't describe it. You feel just, you know, I feel like I was letting my wife down because I couldn't provide for us. I felt like you feel like a failure. You know, you feel like, man, this is it. You know, you feel like you you just can't offer anything to anybody. Your identity, I I think, is is so um, linked to your work in many cases that you just sort of, you kind of, you just feel like the rug just got pulled out from under you. Absolutely. You know, we were good people. We, we didn't have a lot of debt. We actually drained our savings to pay off some of the smaller vendors. We were tied into another investment group. They filed bankruptcy, which in return forced us to file bankruptcy. So it really wasn't our fault, but we, it was, it was a very, very difficult time uh, in my life. And I remember um, kind of putting the stake in the ground and say, I'm from this point forward, I want to give my life to something meaningful. I want to give my life to something that's going to make a difference. Because prior to that, I was so focused on profitability. I was so focused on just making money, which again, is not a bad thing, but that's what drove me. My my goal was to have $2 million cash in the bank when I was 30 years old. And we were well on our way to achieve that. But that was my number one focus. When I got out of the bed uh, during those times, it was all about the money until the economy crashed. Mm. So, I mean, arguably, then something good comes out of this. It takes crisis to prompt you to shift your focus, but it's almost like you got a whole new lease on your on your career and your purpose at this point. Absolutely. When we lost everything, poverty became so real, and I was trying to figure out what did what did that mean for my own life. What did it mean for me to give my life to help other people? And so, I actually went on staff at a church. I worked um, for a, a small church out in Douglasville. I worked there for free for a year. They didn't have enough money to actually pay me, but I was just trying to help them and serve them. So I worked on their creative team. They didn't have any kind of creative structure, no marketing structure, you know. So we um, was really trying to bring that approach to to the church. Um, and it was it was my time at church is where I learned the power of storytelling. And mm. so for me, I um, 
started getting paid from the church, and we also was introduced to a community of homeless people in Douglasville. I didn't think homeless people lived in Douglasville. I thought homeless people lived in more of an urban type context. And if you're not from Atlanta, I would say Douglasville is a community that's maybe 45 minutes or so west right. of uh, Atlanta. That's right. Yeah, it's a suburb of Atlanta. It's pretty, you know, it's pretty pretty large community. And so I didn't think homeless people lived out there. So when I was introduced to this community of homeless people living um, in our community, um, my heart broke for them, and I was trying to figure out how I could help them. So we started going out to, to this community, and they would say, hey, we need, we need food, we need clothing, we need firewood. So we spent two years while I was on staff at this church meeting those needs for these homeless guys. And it didn't take me long to realize that, man, I really wasn't helping them at all. I was kind of enabling them to continue to live this way. And we were out in the woods one day. We brought them. you're just not getting to the root issues. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I was frustrated because every time they'd call me, we would drop what we were doing to try to meet these needs. And you know, we're not really helping them. Obviously, my ultimate goal was to help them get out of the woods. And two years later, of just bringing them more stuff every couple of weeks was really kind of enabling them to continue to live this lifestyle. So I was frustrated. Um, I, was fr- I wasn't really frustrated at them, but just frustrated at the system of, man, why is this homeless problem such a big issue, and how mm. can I really help? So we um, were having a conversation with one of the guys out um, in the woods one day. His name was Mitch, and uh, all he had to his name, he had a tent, but all he had to his name was this old uh, pallet full of cassette tapes of classic rock bands. <laughs> His favorite was Journey. Actually, it was his favorite band. And we of were, course, we were talking. Of course, yeah, we were talking about Journey, and um, I never will forget. I, I kind of got up enough nerve to ask him, I "Was like, Mitch, how can we really help you guys? Like, bringing y'all food and firewood every couple of weeks really isn't helping you." And I never will forget. He looked up at me and he said, "Brian, we need a job. We need somebody to give us a chance. Like, we want to work, but with our backgrounds and you know some of the decisions they made." They really just couldn't get a job anywhere. Nobody would hire them. So I started wrestling with this idea of what would it look like to employ some of these guys. Yeah, and when you talk about this community out there, how many guys were did you find hanging out there in the woods at this? Yeah, there was about fifteen guys living out there. Wow. Okay. And when Mitch told me that he needed a job, I just really started wrestling with this idea of what would it look like if we started employing some of these guys. And I never will forget, I was in the garage. My This is when Pinterest was still was coming onto the scene. Yeah. My wife had all these projects for me. So I'm in the garage during the weekends building these little DIY pallet wood. You know, that's what happens yeah, when you got skills, man. Yeah. <laughs> she put me to work. And so I was building all this stuff for her and really had this aha moment in the garage. Like we could employ some of these guys to build this stuff. So I never forget telling my wife, like, hey, I think I'm going to quit my job and start working with these guys full time. And she's like, no, you're not. Don't do it. You're no. crazy. What? Do you, like, we're finally putting you know, our life back together from after the recession. Like, what are you doing? And this is 2011, late 2011. So I just really felt God calling me to this. I felt like this is something that I needed to do. I felt like if I was going to create something meaningful like this was it and so i told this guy living out in the woods his name's tc he was our first employee this is like 
December of 2011. I was like, TC, I'm going to pick you up January 2nd. And you better be there. You better be ready because I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to bring you back to my garage and we're going to start working. And it was a cold winter day. And I never will forget driving out to the tent city. And I didn't know if he would be out there or not. I, just, I was like, man, this, I, I never will forget driving there. It's just like, oh no, is he going to be there? Is this guy going to kill me on the way to my house? Like, you just had so many like crazy thoughts running through my mind. And he was there and, he was all bundled up, like so excited to work. And so I brought him back to my house, which is not the smartest thing to do. <laughs> like, uh, We had a newborn baby at the time and, and brought him back to my house, had a little miter saw that I borrowed from my dad and an air compressor. I didn't even own my own tools anymore. So brought him back to the house and um, we just started making stuff in my garage out of pallets, out of reclaimed pallets. And... Because of my time at the church and just understanding the power of social media, we just started sharing some of our designs, some of the things that we had created on Instagram. Back then, Instagram was different. Facebook didn't own it. The algorithms were a lot different. So you could share something on Instagram and the whole world would see it, essentially, if they were following you. So we literally started building um, our story and our platform through Instagram. Hmm. And one of the lead designers um, that was working on this thing that was called Seminar back then for Chick-fil-A. Yeah, that's, our, uh, that's a big annual meeting that Chick-fil-A has. I mean, we're talking over 5,000 people coming together in some city in America to kind of kick off the, the new business year. Yeah. So Ryan, uh, the designer, uh, saw our stuff on Instagram and said, hey, can you build, I think it was like 300 pallet wood crates. They were going to use them for a display wall at Chick-fil-A seminar. And I was like, yeah, you know, you say yes to anything when you're a young entrepreneur, right? You just, <laughs> yes, we'll figure out how to do it. And um, that project actually allowed us to hire another guy out of the woods. So we had, here we are, two homeless guys working in my garage, doing this project for Chick-fil-A, building these amazing um, handcrafted pallets. Uh, literally, they're like crates made from uh, reclaimed pallets. And... Um, it didn't take me long to, to realize that after two after about a month of working, TC, our first employee, had saved up enough money to move out of the woods into housing on his own. Wow. Like he just did it. He found the place. He knew a guy that would um, only charge him you know, per week, and he moved out on his own. Wow. So that was a huge win for, for and us. And he, he had not probably had his own place in how long? He had been homeless for 15 years. Wow. He actually walked up to Georgia from Florida to try to find his son. He, he basically um, kind of abandoned his family, looking for work uh, 15 years prior. And so he, he walks back up to Douglasville, Georgia. That was the last place he saw his son. That's where I, our stories kind of intersected, was in Douglasville, Georgia. And uh, so he had moved out of the woods into housing. And I never forget that day, we were like packing his tent up and all of his belongings and he gave a lot of his belongings to the other guys living in the woods and just him moving into that house for the first time was such a powerful moment uh, for us. You know, for most of our listeners, we, we can't relate to that, right? That's just another world. So I think what I love about your story and as you keep telling it is how your business has grown and become successful, but also how you were willing 
to step into a world that was just so different from what you you knew to help somebody. So that's unbelievable. Thank you. Yeah, we like. I thought, man, if I could build four tables a month with TC, you know, one of our guys, um, I would be able to sustain and, and make enough to provide for our family. So I thought that's where it would end. But after we helped TC, I kind of became addicted to helping the next guy and trying to create as many opportunities um, for, for these guys as possible. So that's what drives me is really creating opportunity um, uh, for our employees. And so... We, we realized, though, early on that TC, our first employee, had a major uh, addiction problem. And we realized that we couldn't solve that addiction problem just in the workplace. Like, we needed him healthy and, you know, sober on the job site, especially working with, you know, woodworking tools. Yeah. Um, we didn't want anybody to get hurt. So he, we partnered up with um, Atlanta Mission, which is an amazing rehabilitation program that helps homeless guys in the city of Atlanta. Uh, TC went through their program. And what I realized when TC was in that program is that a lot of these guys that come out of these uh, homelessness and addiction programs, they really need a place to go after they graduate. And so that's how we figured out how to scale our workforce, is partnering with great organizations that really help guys that are struggling with homelessness kind of deal with the root issue um, of why why they're homeless. So we, we continue to grow. We continue to share our story through social media. Um, six months being in business, headline news showed up and did a story on us. And when that happened, it really created a lot of momentum for us that I wasn't ready for. See, when we started this company, it was all passion. We didn't have a plan. Mm. We didn't raise any money, which is the two worst things any entrepreneur could do when starting any business. Okay, ding, ding, ding. There you go. There's a couple of good lessons right there. We'll come back to that. Yes. So we learned a lot early on just, you know, because if you don't have a plan, then you really are, you're really navigating through the wilderness and, and you can save yourself a lot of hurt and headache. But so we continue to grow. We continue to get amazing opportunities. Um, and we, we just really figured out how to scale our workforce and really this idea of, of kind of finding the right partners because because we didn't raise any money, we needed to find customers that could help us with cash flow, that would either pay for the products before we even built them, or they would at least give us a deposit. Um, most of the larger you know, furniture wholesalers obviously want to put you on terms, and we literally had no money. We started this thing with no money. A borrowed miter saw from my dad <laughs> is it. So it was very challenging early on. So um, West Elm heard our story, which is owned by William yeah. Sonoma. It's a big company. They, I think they're on track to be about a $2 billion company, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, nice uh, furniture retail store. Beautiful store, beautiful uh, furniture. So they came to us and said, hey, we would love to partner with you for this season. And they put us in 20 stores when we were about three years old. Wow. So we felt like we had arrived and we were able to hire two more guys. And by that time, we had moved into a much larger facility. And um, man, we learned so much just from, you know, I was so excited about building the furniture, and then I was like, "Okay, now we got to package this furniture so it can ship all over, um, all over the U.S." You just, I just didn't think about those things early on. That's what I started thinking about when you talked about building all those pallets for the Chick Fil A meeting. Like, okay, so how'd you get them there? That's a great question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we basically—I know my neighbors hated me, but we had all these old pallets stacked up down my driveway, and. Um, you know, here I am showing up with a couple of homeless guys, you know, to my house. I know that they, they thought 
that we were a little strange. But um, yeah, we actually just stacked them on pallets and this huge truck shows up in my neighborhood and we are loading them up by hand. And then I think that uh, seminar was actually in Orlando yeah. that year. Um, and so, yeah, it was a crazy, crazy time. How about that? So, so talk about where you are now. What's going on at Layman yeah. Luther these days? Yeah. So now we have 15 guys, 15 craftsmen, that um, all of which have been affected by homelessness in some regard, uh, working for a company. And um, we just we primarily focus on um, basically restaurants, and um, they're kind enough to let us brand the table. Branding and intentional storytelling is so important for us. And so we did a, um, a cool um, eatery called Croc Street Market. Yeah. And uh, we got to brand all those tables. Really, um, that's, that's kind of a leading-edge food hall uh, in the city of Atlanta. Yeah, it's uh, been great. One of our uh, podcast guests, Ford Fry's, got a great restaurant there, Superica as well. Superica is one of my favorite. It's incredible. So we branded all those tables, and um, some of the lead designers of the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium were eating around some of our tables, and they saw our brand and reached out to us, and they wanted something local for the new stadium. And this was two and a half years ago. Um, seems like so long ago. And they reached out to us and said, hey, we'd love to talk to you about um, – we really want to do something meaningful and local for all of our commu- community tables in the new stadium. And so we started that conversation, and and um, we j- literally j- – the stadium opened two months ago. Yeah, this is a billion-and-a-half-dollar Unbelievable, beautiful stadium, home of the Atlanta Falcons, the Atlanta United uh, Major League Soccer team, and yes. I think Garth Brooks performs there this week. <laughs> yes. It's kind of crazy what's going on there now. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful stadium, and and we did over 220 tables. Um, most of them are like 10 foot long, solid walnut table, beautiful tables, and all of those tables have our brand uh, on the outside. So it's pretty cool. Um, all right, I gotta ask: Have yeah. you taken the guys? <laughs> To Mercedes Benz, we're stated. taking them on when they play. We're taking them towards the, when they play Carolina towards the end. Ooh, of the year. yeah, division rival. Yes, yeah, so they got us tickets for it. I think the early tickets, people, you know, we couldn't really get get our hands <laughs> on those because the excitement of the stadium. But that's going to be such a, a an awesome moment for these guys yes. to show up to this beautiful place yes. and see their handiwork there. It's so cool. And and last year, um, Mike Rowe came out and did a um, dirty jobs. Mike Rowe, dirty jobs. Mike Rowe came out and did a story and it's just cool because the guys are just so encouraged to see man this guy wants to come and hear their stories you know out of he could go anywhere but he chose to come out to little west georgia you know and and hear these guys stories so we love moments that we can create for them just to celebrate them and um now we have guys that have been with us for you know four and a half five years and i thought when we created this company we would be more transitional employment i thought guys would come in and they'd be here six months, maybe nine months, and then they would find a better opportunity. But I can't get these guys to leave. It's like they're they're growing with their organization. They're um, our shop manager when he he didn't have his driver's license when he first started. Um, this past year, he's bought a house. Wow. He's gotten married. They're having their first child. So we're literally seeing guys like rebuild their lives like right before our eyes. Wow. While the company has grown dramatically. I know you guys um, have. Um, I don't know how you, how it happened, but you've kind of stumbled into this whole tiny house thing too. So, 
de- describe what what yeah. a tiny house is, yeah. in case anybody's missed that, and yeah. then talk about what's going on with Layman Luther and tiny houses. So a tiny house is a uh, a building that's less than four hundred square feet. It's typically on a trailer. It's on wheels, so it's mobile. And we had some guys sleeping on our shop floor, and I was trying to figure out a way that I could raise money quickly and do something that um, you know created a, basically a place for our guys to live. So it's one of those. It was kind of like starting Layman Luther. It's I was I, I couldn't sleep that night. I was wrestling wrestling with all these ideas. Like, what can we do? What can we do? And some buddies of mine had raffled off a motorcycle over at Brother Moto. Yeah, I don't know if you know those guys or I not. Do. Yep, they raffled off a motorcycle about two months previous, um, and it was a huge success. I think I bought like I don't know a couple hundred dollars worth of entries because I wanted that motorcycle. You know, and. Um, it just kind of hit me in the middle of the night. It's like, we could raffle off a tiny house. We could give a tiny house away. So we created this whole nother platform, tiny house giveaway, through Instagram, through Facebook. We created its own website. And people could go online and buy entries to this tiny house that I had have not even built yet. Is this legal, by the way? It is. Well, at the time, it wasn't. We, <laughs> it has to be run through a nonprofit. Did you run this by your, le- your the Laban <laughs> no. Luther legal staff? No, I didn't. I didn't. I should have. I, I have since. Um, but um, you can actually send in postcards, too. So you can. it's no purchase necessary. Yeah, there's, there you go. Now you're, the now you're legal. Now you're legal. But um, it was a huge success. Like, we raised enough money. Um, like the first week to, because I didn't even have the money to build the tiny house. Um, so we raised enough money to build the tiny house, and then and it ended up becoming a huge success. We had all these producers that found our tiny house um, on uh, social media uh, that worked with HGTV, and they started reaching out to us like, "Hey, would you want to be on a HGTV show featuring tiny houses?" And we were like, "Yeah, let's do." You know, we were we were sure we'll we'll take it, and so we. Um, we filmed two shows with Tiny House Big Living that aired on HGTV this year uh, that featured our tiny houses. Um, but it's all it's all really um, it's all basically uh, through our foundation. We have the Lehman Luther Foundation now, which is our nonprofit arm of our entity. So we run all of our um, raffles through that, and so um, it's been a huge success. And we've been sending money. We partner with other organizations too, so we send half the net proceeds uh, to them. Uh, earlier this year, we sent thirty five thousand dollars to Help One Now, wow. which is a great organization. We're partnering with Beloved Atlanta. They actually help people uh, help ladies come out. Of sex, the sex uh, industry, sex trade, uh, right here in Atlanta, and so we're uh, basically sending half those net proceeds to those guys. So it's just been another little side thing that we've been able to create. That's been a huge success. So you are changing people's lives and and building a, a really vibrant, successful business. And it sounds like having a lot of fun too along the way. Absolutely. I, I gotta believe though that there have been some uh, just kind of heartbreak moments too. I mean, working with homeless folks, they're going to be setbacks. Times when maybe you want to pull your hair out. And I guess that just comes with the territory. Absolutely. You know, when we first started the business, I remember the first year I was like, I'm done. This is too hard. You know, I just wanted to throw the towel in and quit numerous times. Um, And, um, you know, one of the most challenging things I think has just been any any business because, you know, social enterprise is a a for-profit entity or company that has a a do good initiative. So I really believe this is the future of commerce. I believe all companies are going to be forced to, you know, introduce giving into their DNA, which I think is a good thing. Um, 
But when you run companies like that, not only are you focusing on, for us, the ministry side of trying to help these guys get back on their feet, we also got to make a profit if we're going to stay in business. That's what keeps it sustainable. That's right. And so I would make decisions early on very emotionally. like, um, And that's an emotional business decision is a bad business decision. Yeah. And I would make I would make just a lot of bad decisions because I cared about the guys when I probably should have been sending some of them home because we really didn't have the work for them. I'd just keep letting them work, you know, and that directly affects cash flow. And so I had to learn to be a business guy. I got my you know an MBA, you know, uh, uh, running this thing. Um, but that's been the biggest challenge is is I think too not starting with a plan, you know. We didn't really identify like a clear product base early on. Like, what are we actually building? We would build anything. If you wanted cornhole boards, we'd build them. If you wanted pallet wood crates, we would build them. So really narrowing our focus down to the table has really helped with profitability. There are a couple lessons that I pull out of your story, though. I go all the way back to you going to work for the church for free, um, coming off the loss of your home building business. And I'm thinking, you know what? There's a story there about just keep moving. You might go, well, this makes no sense. Why am I going to go do this? I don't, I'm not even getting anything for it. But you go, you learn about storytelling. That proves, you guys got to go, I'm going to tell you how to go find the Layman Luther Instagram site later. You got to go check it out because they do an awesome job. But you you pick up um, a, a skill that proves to be instrumental in the success of Layman Luther. Uh, you talk about um, not having enough capital to begin with, and that lack of margin can narrow your choices. There, there's an awesome lesson. You've made it, but looking back, you would coach somebody, probably not the ideal way to do it. Absolutely. And then to hear you talk about uh, needing a plan, I think some people get afraid of a plan. They feel like they've boxed themselves in. Right. But if you recognize, it's not like you're legally bound to to stick to the plan if you get smarter along the way and figure out there's a, a better way or, a, a, you know, maybe you need to zag instead of zig. But at least it, it helps you channel resources in what appears to be a productive direction um, coming out of the gate. Absolutely. I think a plan helps you as the entrepreneur. It forces you to think about critical issues. More than anything, so strategic trade-offs sometimes. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I think a lot of times, um, I saw one of my buddies put on Twitter today. He's like, it doesn't matter how many people think your idea is great, if nobody will pay you for that, then you really don't have a great idea. Yeah. And I think profitability. I heard Blake Mikowski of Tom say one time, he's like, we, you know, we measure profitability is number one for our organization, and you think building a social enterprise or maybe a nonprofit that, well, we're a missional focused entity. So the mission has to be number one. And so I agree with Blake though, like profitability is so important because if you go out of business, you're not going to help anyone. Yeah. So I think I had to focus, I had to change my perspective on profitability and making sure that we were profitable so we could sustain, so I could make sure the guys had work next month. Um, And that's difficult for the, you know, the guy like me that just wants to start something meaningful. I want yeah. to start a movement, if you will. Yeah. Um, profitability is should be number one. One other, I think, key principle that you've taught is uh, get your story out there. And you've found interesting ways to do it. Uh, part of it is just stamping your name so that the guys that go to Crock Street that are working on yeah. the design of the Mercedes-Benz Stadium see it. Yeah. The way you learn how to use social media, and we're an early adapter at using that as a platform to tell your story. Yeah. Um, 
This may not be your giftedness if you're launching. If that's the case, find somebody that does, um, they get this and they can come alongside and help you figure out how to tell the story, how to tell your story, where to tell your story. Uh, that's big too. It seems like that's been really important the story in, in your has, journey. The story has gotten us so many great opportunities. Like, yeah. It's, it's, it's really, I mean, there's, I can name you 20 great furniture builders in Atlanta that are probably even better than what we what we do. But the reason why we got the Mercedes-Benz contract was not because we're the greatest furniture builders. It's because our story. It's the power of story. And I think um, stories matter, and stories um, should should definitely be something that we should all focus on as entrepreneurs. So talk about what's next for Lehman Luther. That's a great question. I, I've had this crazy vision. I want, I want to create as many jobs as I possibly can. And so I actually want to create 100 jobs for deserving craftsmen. And hmm. so we're 15% of the way there. we got 15 amazing guys. Um, but we're actually just really ramping up our e-com channel. So up until this point, most of our business has been custom work, custom restaurants, um, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. We're doing projects for Google, the new Omni Hotel at SunTrust. We're doing a lot of great projects, but we really feel like the future is these direct e-com channels. So we're putting a lot of energy and effort into uh, a Lehman Luther table. You can buy on our website, and we'll ship it to you. Shipping is a big issue with furniture, so we're just figuring all that stuff out. So, yeah. That's the future for us. To what degree do the guys, and I love the way you call them craftsmen, by the way, to what degree do these craftsmen that are part of Lehman Luther, they, do they participate in some of these um, management level, leadership level uh, discussions and decisions you're wrestling with? That's a great question. Our first, one of our first employees is named Grady. I uh, actually was introduced to Grady up at the Potter's House, which is a part of Atlanta Mission. And uh, he had been a cabinet, uh, worked in a cabinet shop for 30 years prior to to kind of his life falling apart and found himself homeless. So he come to work for us, um, didn't even have a driver's license. Uh, since working for us, he's he's got his driver's license. He's uh, bought a house this year. Um, he's uh, married. They're having their first baby early next year. So you literally see him rebuild his life. But more than that, he's running our shop. Wow. Everything that happens in the shop, he is managing and does a phenomenal job uh, with that. But the, it's unfortunate because you know he, because of his record, because of his past, he can't get a job at Home Depot or he, he, there's just so many obstacles because of his track record that um, prohibit him from getting a great job. But we've really seen him grow with our company. He's been with me four years now, so it's just been so cool to see him evolve with us and and be part of these bigger decisions that you're having to to, to make as you think about the future of Flame and Luther. Absolutely, and. You know, too, with with storytelling, go, kind of touching back on that, you know, he really is the barometer for us out in the shop because the last thing we want to do is exploit our guys. You know, we don't want to exploit our guys at the sake of profitability, yep. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So he's a great barometer, and I'm like, I've run everything by him, Grady. I don't want to offend any of our guys. So, you know, you tell me, you know, if, if we're presenting this story in a way that's um, tasteful, you know, yeah. we, assert, we definitely don't want to exploit anybody. And so more than anything, I think the value he adds for our organization is really that direct link between, you know, kind of me and, and our guys, you know, in terms of telling their story and he can communicate with them because of his past much better than I can, because I don't have the same history that they have. Yeah. So folks want to find out more about Layman Luther. What's the what's the best way to do that, Brian? Yeah, so you can just Google Layman Luther. That's L A 
M-O-N-L-U-T-H-E-R. Um, obviously, we're on all social media, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, you can find us on there. And then all that's linked to my personal accounts, too. I love um, entrepreneurship. I think it's one of the greatest things that we have. Um, we can we have the ability to literally start a movement right now. And I think that's the coolest thing. Well, if you're out there listening and you're not inspired by Brian's story, uh, I, all the way back to the way you honored your grandfather through the, the name of the business, uh, you've got to be. So this, I hope, is fuel for you to uh, take another step, um, continue to pursue your dream. I hear Brian talk about he couldn't sleep at night. What is it that's going on in your head and your heart that's keeping you up at night? What's the next step that you can take? I'm sure you never, uh, you never thought you were going to be doing some of the things you're doing today. But that's what happens when you just start rolling and create momentum. And so I want to thank you for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Come my way. Visit with me here. Share your story. And I uh, uh, just want to in- continue to encourage those of you out there that are, that are launchers. Um, just pursue it. Get after it. And uh, go check out Joe, go check out Brian's site. Uh, you'll love his work, and uh, you may be able to um, have one of your future uh, business meetings around the Layman Luther table. How about that? That'd, That'd be, be incredible. Cool. All right. So thank you for taking the time to be with us. Uh, just encourage you to find somebody that's not listening. See if you can invite them to the podcast, and stay tuned uh, because you're going to hear us talk more and more about something we're excited to share with you called Elevator Pitch. So you're going to hear more about that soon. Hope you're having a wonderful week. Go get them. Thanks for listening to the Launch University podcast. We hope it's helped you move from go-getter to difference maker. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. For more helpful resources, visit launchuniversity.com.